I wish my pastor would have visited me. I wonder why pastor isn't here. Why does that pastor have so many kids? Why does that pastor not have any kids? I don't like it when my pastor talks about politics. After all, I already know what I think. What do pastors do all week anyway? Some questions along these lines maybe at times are appropriate. Maybe there are things that a pastor missed that he should have taken care of, should have done, and somehow it just didn't get accomplished. Other complaints probably at times stem from maybe unrealistic expectations or unfair ways of uh, thinking about the pastor's role. All of us, pastors and non-pastors alike though, could, could do with a lot more love and a little less critical attitude. But the fact still remains that there are and there ought to be high expectations for pastors. God has high expectations for pastors. Peter, who was an experienced pastor, who had also been a close associate of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry, talked about that very thing. His letter, one of his letters, and a small portion of that letter is in front of us today, was not sent only to pastors. The book of 1 Peter was actually sent to Christians in general. It was addressed to the elect who were scattered over a wide region of what is now Turkey. But in this section that's in front of us this morning, Peter narrows his view. He specifically addresses and directly addresses the elders of the congregation. Now, we use the term elder to describe certain positions in our church today, but this word, as Peter uses it in this section of his letter, really describes something much more similar to our pastors today. In other words, in these verses, Peter, by God's inspiration, addresses pastors directly as he also allows the rest of the congregation to listen in. In other words, what he says is not a secret. It's not a private conversation with a pastor in order to address some glaring particular issue. No, it's a reminder for the pastors and the people that God desires certain things from shepherds of his flock. First, these shepherds are to oversee the flock. That really seems assumed by calling them shepherds, but it's also spelled out in these verses that they are to serve as overseers. God intends for His flock, God's flock, to have leadership and direction. And He has provided men who offer that leadership. And God's people depend on it. This is just one of the many places the Bible speaks about God's people as sheep, as those who need a shepherd. And that is something that we all need. 
As sinful people, we are, we are prone to wandering. We are prone to falling into danger. We're constantly tempted to, to concern ourselves just with the immediate, our immediate situation, our immediate desires. We're tempted to ignore our neighbors and to love just ourselves. And not only are we tempted in these ways, we also wander into these temptations and wander into these sins. But in our arrogance, far too often we take our own personal opinions and assume that they are the absolute truth. Sheep like us need a shepherd. It's not... It's not a compliment that God calls us sheep, but it is the truth. As believers, God has made us into new creatures. We are not what we once were. We were, we were once nothing but sinful. At birth, that is exactly who we are. God's changed us, but we're still that in part. We are still sinners. We still struggle. We still fall, we still fail, we still need shepherds and overseers to hold God's Word in front of us, to offer direction, to offer help, to give us spiritual nourishment in the means of grace. And God has graciously provided these shepherds. It's His will that they lead and that they guide he wants them to point to the death of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. He wants them to direct people to the empty tomb, the tomb that proclaims forgiveness won and eternal life secured. He wants them to baptize and to teach and to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He wants them to oversee and to guide and to direct. These are the shepherds God desires. But the shepherds aren't perfect either. As God, through Peter, describes his expectations for the leaders of these congregations, he says that he wants the shepherds to struggle against the temptations that come so naturally. What God desires is willing service, not service that's given grudgingly. In fact, in these verses, God actually sets in front of us three pairs. Each has a positive and a negative. Not this way, but this other way of looking at how shepherds are to serve. One of them's already been mentioned. Not grudgingly, but willingly. God calls His shepherds to take an, a genuine interest in the flock, a genuine interest in the welfare of those they serve. God wants them to be concerned about the actual needs of the sheep, to be glad to offer their assistance, to be eager to do what is really and truly best for them, not according to their opinion, not according to His opinion, but according to the Word of God who called them to serve, the same God who called those sheep to be His own possession. Oh, certainly grudging service might get some of the job done, but grudging service is always done with a view towards the shepherd's personal interest. 
and having that really above the needs of the sheep. Let's look at another pair. Not because you are greedy for money, but because you are eager to do it. A pastor who's just doing a job, or worse yet, is just doing the minimum necessary to keep an income, cannot possibly serve the way that God desires. But greed is a powerful temptation. To earn more while doing less tempts the selfish heart. A pastor could abuse his position by by using it primarily to make money instead of being eager to serve people. In the same way, a pastor may be tempted to abuse his authority by lording it over those entrusted to him. That's the third negative example. He could display the attitude that says, I am in charge, you better listen to me. He could act really in a way that many rulers and politicians have. Jesus also mentioned that to his disciples. He could give the impression that he's in a different class with special privileges that the regular people just can't have. That's not what God wants. He says, don't do that, but be examples for the flock. Pastors can set an example by the way that they live. They can demonstrate a focus on spiritual issues, gracious speech. They can lead by prioritizing good stewardship of God's blessings to them. They can gently encourage their church family to follow the good example when they set it. It's interesting to note, isn't it, that none of these temptations are really specific to pastors. We can all struggle with filling our roles appropriately by serving others in those roles instead of using what we've been given in selfish ways, in self-serving ways. Even when we do the right thing, we're tempted to become proud, to put our confidence in ourselves. But that never works. No, as sinners, we need a Savior. As sinners, all of us, pastors included, need to to flee to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and to trust in His sacrifice on our behalf. And all of us, as forgiven children, His forgiven children, get to follow His example. An example of willing service and content service and gentle service. Jesus enables all of us to struggle against temptation. And Jesus promises eternal glory. We can't get through these verses without noticing how Peter connects his encouragement to the glory that is coming. He speaks about himself as one who also shares in the glory that is about to be revealed. That's what motivates Peter's encouragement. That's what motivates his hearers to follow the encouragement that he gives. A pastor can't truly shepherd his flock in the way that God desires without knowing that heaven is his home. 
and without focusing his congregation's attention on their heavenly home. Peter closes these verses with this encouragement. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Once again, words are directed to the shepherds, to the pastors, but words that were heard by everyone. The pastors didn't earn a crown of glory by shepherding in the way that God desires. They didn't earn it at all. It's a gift from the chief shepherd, a gift from the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. The crown of glory for us is why he came and he lived and he died and he rose. This fact is not an afterthought for Peter. He doesn't say, let me tell you how you can make this life better, how you can do all of the right things, how you can get the most out of this life, and then, yeah, let's talk about heaven too. No, he says heaven is the message. He says the day is coming. This is what transforms our lives. It's what motivates us to serve others. It does so for pastors, and it does so for all of us. I do understand that there may be times that someone doesn't think a pastor handled a situation very well or may wonder whether a pastor is doing the best job possible. I also worry that as a pastor, preaching on these verses, everything that I say could sound a little bit uh, self-serving or self-important. That's not what I want. And it's not what you need. What I want and what you should want also are shepherds who do as God desires. They oversee His flock. They wrestle against temptation and help their members to do the same. And they, along with them, anticipate His glory. May God bless you with pastors who live up to this description. Amen.